evidence and answers. Many measure a successful church by the number of people that attend, the size of the budget, and the facilities. But are these the true measures of a healthy church? What are the true marks of a healthy church? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. The last time we were together, Pat and his guest, Pastor Corey Ishida, began an interview discussing the character of a healthy church that is fulfilling God's mission. Today, we will conclude with part two. Remember, if you missed any part of this broadcast, head on over to our website, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and look up Marks of a Healthy Church. You can download it or listen online. Now, let's conclude. Okay, one of my primary responsibilities as a senior pastor was to make sure the staff was on the same page, the state on board with the vision and mission of the church. And I, I'm a firm believer that the you know, staff needs to know each other and love each other and work together. So I practice seven Ps. I call them seven practices. The first one was pray together. I think leaders need to pray together. Too often we meet together, but we don't pray together. Second thing is praise together. I think like in our uh, meetings, sometimes we have times of worship where we just worship the Lord together. That happened to be in song, but also you know, prayer is, is worship. Being in the Word is, is worship. But be a, worship, a mini-worshiping community. Uh, the third thing is perceive together. Try to understand what's going on in our society and in our church together and not by ourselves. The fourth thing was ponder together. When you take on a, a project, on a, a trial, especially when a trial comes up in your church, rather than being the Lone Ranger about it, get your community of leaders and ponder what is going on and what the Lord wants. The fifth one is plan. Plan together. Uh, oftentimes you sort of isolate and then you plan separately. Mm. But I think it's, there's, there's times when you should bring the leadership together and plan something together. It could be an all-church retreat. It could be a, a building program, but plan together. The sixth, and I'm a real big believer in this, partake together. I think it's important to, to share a meal together and to have fellowship. So every staff meeting, or every, after every staff meeting, we had a staff lunch. And so as many of the staff that could go would go. And like when we had interns, we make sure we paid for their lunch uh, because we wanted them there and we wanted to bless them. And the only rule was you can't talk shop. Mm. So it's a time when you share about your lives, you share about the things you have in common interest, et cetera. That, I love those times. That's one of the times I miss the most being retired. And then the seventh thing is play together, that we would do some. So in our staff retreats, which happened every year, we'd only do a minimal amount of actual work per se, and we would partake together, or we would um, praise together, we'd pray together, and we played together. So we always had these activities planned where we would do things in fellowship with one another. Now, the whole purpose of that was to help us love one another, know each other, and therefore be, have the opportunity to love each other the way God wants us to love each other as we serve together. In my last class, one of the last classes I took at seminary, which was required, was a senior's class. And they had a psychologist teach that class. And one of the things a psychologist said to to a class, and it was a pretty big class, so like 50 or 60 people in that class. And he said, whatever you do, don't be friends with your staff or with the church family. Mm -hmm. And I thought, and I was already in ministry for like 10 years. I thought, oh, that's, that's, that's an incorrect statement. So I raised my hand and I refuted him. I said, no, I think the Bible teaches that we're supposed to love each other because the way in which we love each other is the way the world knows that we're his disciples. So I kind of countered his, his teaching saying, I think it's really important to have good friends in the church, and be friends with your staff, to love your staff the way you would love a neighbor and a friend, and even maybe even family. 
And then afterwards, after the class, I realized that the reason why he said that was he's a psychologist, and he saw a lot of pastors in his office in consult. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those pastors were having difficulties, and normally the difficulties arose from family and church. And I think that's where he developed that strategy. But I think it's when you live life together and those problems actually arise, and that's when you really learn how, what it means to love, forgive, to reconcile, to restore, and that's all part of living life. And I don't think you sh- we should avoid it as leaders by avoiding one another in love and friendship. Yeah, I heard that counsel quite a bit as I was taking leadership courses and professors, psychologists, other leaders were saying, don't get too close to the people in your church or your staff. You don't want them to know too much about you. You want to be able to make that cold-hearted kind of objective kind of decisions. You don't want to be jaded if you're too close to someone. But uh, I agree with you. You know, when you look at Jesus, he lived with his disciples. And that seems to be the way, the only way that you can really get close and impact and transform and impact other lives. Amen. And actually, that's who I looked at. He was he was my teaching preaching professor in one respect, but also in terms of taking care of staff and taking care of those who are under in my charge. I looked at Jesus and the way he dealt with his disciples. I mean, they lived together for like three years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they shared everything. It was, uh, I mean, I think it's a prime example of how we're supposed to live life in the church. I love my staff. Everybody I know staff, love having them on staff, love fellowshipping with them, love seeing them raise their families. I perish the thought that I wouldn't be able to enjoy that because I had to stay away from them. Yeah, I see a lot of pastors in churches that are really, you know, I guess standoffish. They don't get too close to the people in the church, and they don't get too close to their staff. And and as I'm watching well, you know, them, you know, Pat, yeah, you know, Pat, that could be the reason why sometimes they have problems with those in those areas. Mm-hmm. It's not because they know them well; it's because they don't know them. Yeah. And it's when you don't know people that you tend to make decisions that may be counterproductive to what's really good and holy and even righteous. So I'm yeah. a firm believer in getting to know your church family and getting to know your staff and loving them as as much as you possibly can with the time that you have and, and the resources that are available to you. You know, and, and I believe the health of a church depends on the health of its leadership. So explain to us, Amen. you know, how you reproduce solid leaders for ministry. Well, I, I think the, probably the main thing that, one of the main things that I worked on was making sure that, one, I called those who I thought we're supposed to be leaders. I did that especially as I trained up pastors, as I asked the Lord to bring into my presence and into my mind and heart those that he had chosen to become leaders, whether it be future pastors or even leaders within the church. And if you notice, Jesus called people to his side. God calls people to lead. And so I thought I need to be part and parcel to some sort of call to different people in our church into leadership. A lot of people volunteer, and God bless each one of them, but there are a lot of times when we as leaders need to call forth other believers into leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, the Bible teaches us that we're supposed to aspire to leadership. So, Lord willing, everyone who's spirit-led and is into the Word aspires to be a leader in some way. And maybe a leader is a servant. So aspires to be a servant leader or a leader servant. So one of the things that I attempted to do is to make sure that I was part and parcel to calling people into, a, into leadership. And then it's a matter of spending time with them. And that's the thing that's probably the most precious commodity you have in life is your time. So those that the Lord calls out to be leaders in conjunction with you, uh, you just need to spend time with them and spend time with them in different manners. Like just we had one person on staff who I tried to have lunch with every other week because that's what I felt the person needed. 
a kind of time where we just bring bread together and talk about life and talk about ministry or talk about what it means to, to serve. And uh, so spending time with them. And then I think teaching them as best you can that take the things that you know and try to impart them to them. There may be better ways. It definitely isn't the only way. But just sharing with them the things that you have learned over the years and what God has taught you and try to impart that to them and then let the Lord allow them to gain from that that which they need to gain in order to serve him in the way God wants them to serve, wants them to serve. Yeah, and I think that takes, uh, the leader's got to be someone with not only a strong faith, but a strong self-image because, you know, he's going to impart his life into others and others who may supersede him in different areas or even yeah. go on to greater leadership than him. Then, And he needs to be secure about that. Or you end up in a, like a Saul and David kind of yes. rivalry there within, within, you know, on staff. Well, we called my successor. I spent some time with him and I asked the Lord to give me a verse. That would be the theme verse for my relationship with him. And the, and the verse was what, what John the Baptist said about Jesus. You know, he must increase and I must decrease. So that became the goal in my relationship with him as we were going through a transition period. And I think what you really want, and that's my desire was of all the, all the churches we planted, I wanted a church to, to become a more representative church than Evergreen. It, it'll be like if uh, you won one Super Bowl, you want those who came from you to win two Super Bowls. <laughs> I know people understand that. But yeah. But what, what other thing that I think is valuable in training up somebody and helping uh, produce leaders is when they ask you a question, answer their question sometimes with a question. So that's one of the things I try to practice with the children uh, as I was raising them and now with my grandchildren. When I feel like it's time to teach them a spiritual truth and they ask a question about it or about life in general, I sometimes try to answer their question with a question and let them ponder it. And then you ponder it together. And then eventually you share with them what you think might be an answer that, that, would, be, that would bless them and bless others. And that's what Jesus did a lot. If you look at the scriptures three or 400 times, depending on how you uh, count the questions, whenever they asked him a question, he answered with a question. And that's sort of a rabbinic way of teaching. And I think it's really effective. And we don't teach it, we don't teach that way as much anymore, especially based upon our American culture. So I try to do that and uh, answer a question with a question. You know, one of the common threads I see in healthy churches is that, you know, they're led by strong leaders and strong leaders produce strong leaders. They gather good leaders around them. I, I noticed insecure leaders will see a strong leader or potential leader more as a threat. And often, you know, they'll suppress that person or that person will go, you know, leave the ministry. But so that's why I'm saying, you know, the leaders really needs to be someone that's really secure in their position in Christ and in their self-image. You know, how do you keep from not struggling with that sense of, you know, this leader may seek to usurp my position and take my position. One of the things that, that I've always believed and, and embraced is that all the things that happened in and through Evergreen really wasn't because of me, but it was because of, of the Lord and the Holy Spirit in my life. So I could take credit for almost, well, I could take credit for nothing. The only thing I take credit for was some of the bad decisions we made. <laughs> but, you know, I, I know it was the Lord. It was the Lord. People ask me, well, how, why did Evergreen grow? Well, I know some of the principles, and but really, ultimately, baseline uh, reality is that it was the Lord. And so when I see somebody else prosper, I know it's the Lord. It's not because he's necessarily more talented than I am or is a better preacher, but hey, somehow God has anointed this person, 
And I need to go along with that anointing. That's what King Saul missed, is that God had his hand on David. And it would have been great if King Saul could have just thought, seen that and, and raised up David to, to eventually take his place rather than have what happened happen. So, and I come from a, a mentality of a coach. And there are a lot of parallels, I think, in the church and being a coach. But one of the things that you really desire as a coach is to have a coaching tree, you know, that from your group of people that have worked together with you as in the coaching profession, they become head coaches, and some of them will exceed what you have done, and that's sort of what you desire. So that's always been my heart and always my mindset. I really would like to see all the people that I trained up and all the people that I know actually do a better job than I do and basically be less in the way of what the Lord wants to have done in his church. And uh, like it's sort of like watching your your son, and I didn't have a son, so my grandson now, they're getting to be taller than me, and that's what you want. <laughs> I don't want to be taller than my grandsons. I want them to be taller than me. And that's the way I feel about the people that I've trained, the people that I see in ministry. It'd be much greater if they became, it'd be better if they became taller than me. So I thank God for one of the men that sort of trained up in our church is Kim Kira, and he's the pastor of Lighthouse right now. And, and that church is doing really, really well. And the larger they grow and the more influence they have, and, the, and it's just, it's just so many things they do so well. Every time I see it, it blesses my soul. I keep thinking, okay, this is a church that's going to exceed everything that Evergreen did because the Lord has chosen Kim and has anointed Kim in some very unique ways. And he's just a great, great leader. He's an elder amongst uh, elders, but amongst the elders, he's just a, a really tremendous elder that has helped lead this church, Lighthouse Christian Church, Community Church in Torrance, California. Well, you know, Pastor Corey, like any organism, they face uh, numerous dangers. And what are some of the significant dangers that leaders really need to be aware of that could really ruin the health of a healthy body of Christ? I think when leaders forget the source, their source of strength, of inspiration, of direction, I think that's when leaders and churches get into trouble. They listen to the world rather than to Mm. the Word. They're into what people say rather than what God says. And so uh, there's some really great books on business out there, but if you choose what the business book says versus what the Bible says, I think you're going to get into trouble. Mm. So always making sure you know what core of our source is. It's the Lord God Almighty, His Word, and His Holy Spirit, and we need to rely on that. If something we see in the world fits what the Bible says, hey, fine, let's go for it. But if not, then we need to make sure we focus on what's really important and, again, keep the main thing the main thing. And I think that's what sometimes misleads the churches. The other thing is being becoming a people pleaser. You know, the Bible talks about people accumulating those who tickle their ears. I think it's important to make sure that we don't become people pleasers, but we become pleasers of God rather than pleasers of people. That's what the Scripture also says. Or that we obey God rather than obey men, which is what Peter said in the book of Acts. I think making sure we want to please God and not just people or society. I think that when we start trying to please the world, I think that's when the church gets into trouble. So I think there are things that that we need to avoid, things that we need to embrace as we continue uh, serving the Lord in the church and and other venues where where the Lord calls us. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point. You know, there's a lot of pressure on pastors to grow the numbers in the church. Unfortunately, here in the West, success is often seen as numbers. How many people are coming to your church? And there's a temptation there to be implementing marketing principles and things like this so that they have the numbers, which is often the measure of 
a successful church here? How do you keep yourself from falling into that kind of mindset? I think we're supposed to grow deeper and not necessarily wider. Right? However, there's one number that I think is important, though, Pat, and that number is the number of people who come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. That number should be thought about in the church, because if no one is coming to know Jesus, thereby increasing the church numerically because of new conversions, then I think maybe we as a church need to rethink what we're doing. Because in the early church, the, the, the Lord grew them daily. And there was a, a real steep curve, growth curve at the beginning. But there was numerical growth. But it's not just numbers of people in worship. A lot of times those are just transplants. Mm-hmm. The number to really be concerned about are the number of people who come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord for the very first time. And that number should be increasing in the church by some numerical gauge. Other than that, it's a matter of growing people deeper. And I think if you grow people deeper, then others will come to know Jesus. Yeah, you know, and dealing with a large number of people, there's always going to be differences. There's always going to be conflict. And one of the differences I see between healthy churches and unhealthy churches is the way they handle conflict. So how does a healthy church, you know, handle conflict in the body there? Okay, I think one of the things a healthy church and actually a healthy Christian does is that they actually deal with conflict. So I come from a a Japanese-American family, and so Japanese-American families, at least the Niseis and Sanseis, second and third generations, they do everything they possibly can to avoid conflict and avoid dealing with conflict, which is is a source of aggravation in my marriage, because my wife is good about facing, dealing with things and, and, and will encounter and will actually engage in conflict, whereas I avoid it. And so... One of the things as a, as a pastor I had to learn and to, to deal with is it's important to recognize, identify, and acknowledge that there is conflict. I think that's a big first step. It's like what Jesus tells in Matthew 18 about, you know, if you have a problem, go to your brother. And I think that's something we need to do. And all, too often times, instead of when you have a problem, run away from your brother. So I think the first thing is to is actually identify and then be willing to deal with conflict. And I think leaders need to maybe maybe get some training and ask the Holy Spirit to help them in that particular area. Uh, the second thing I think leaders need to learn to do, we all need to learn to do, is to make sure we listen to both sides whenever conflict arises. I think a good verse for, for believers, Proverbs 18:9. Uh, you know, the first to plead this case always seems right until another comes along and examines him. And uh, my granddaughter is in that court trying to get onto a jury today, and one of the things I shared with her is don't always believe the first thing you hear. Wait for the evidence on the other side. And so I think one of the things we tend to do as leaders sometimes is we hear one side or hear multiple sources on one side of the issue, and we fail to really access and resource the other side of the issue. I think that helps us deal with conflict in a healthy healthy fashion. I think we, and when dealing with conflict, I think we need to deal with sin. That there's, you, there's almost always sin involved in conflict. Therefore, there needs to be repentance and not be afraid to address sin and repentance. Because when that happens, then you can have reconciliation and restoration. Mm-hmm. And I think that should always be the ultimate goal of conflict. You're going to try to have sin confessed and then reconcile and restore, not split. So I think a healthy church, people can have conflict, even in marriages and things. And yeah. the leadership of the church helps bring people together and reconcile and to restore in the framework of repentance and forgiveness. I think one of the things that needs to be taught in the church over and over again is, what is forgiveness? 
and why forgiveness is so important, rooted in the fact that Jesus forgave us. God forgave us through Christ. And we are, though. I mean, we're sinners. We're all sinners, and we none of us deserve forgiveness. And uh, yet God gives us to us freely, based on Ephesians 2.8. It's a gift, not because of works. And I think we need to practice that in the light of, say, Ephesians 4.32. We're supposed to be tender and kind of hard to one another, forgiving others just as, well, just as Jesus forgave us. So I think those things will be helpful in a church handling conflict. Well, you know, Pastor Corey, as, as we bring this show to an end, uh, there's some people out there that find themselves in an unhealthy church situation. What are some suggestions that you can give to people who find themselves in an unhealthy church? And I think the first thing I would I would suggest that they do is make sure they're praying about it, not just complaining about it. You know, James tells us that we have not because we uh, ask not. And so asking for maybe a revival in the church or conviction of sin in the church or whatever it takes for the church to turn around, because being an agent of change in church is a remarkably good thing. Mm -hmm. And who knows, God may be using this particular person to become an agent of change, which begins really with prayer because we don't have, because we don't ask. So I think making sure we have a steady diet of prayer in an area of an, if your church seems to be a bit unhealthy. And I think the second thing you probably needs to eventually happen is make an appeal to the leadership of the church, uh, sort of following the example of Esther, making an appropriate appeal before the leadership, as she did with King Ahasuerus, which eventually led to, to the people of Israel not getting slaughtered. And then I think another thing which is important is don't mumble or grumble about it. And that, mumbling and grumbling is a sin in the Bible. And what it does is it creates a toxic environment. And so practicing things that you find in like 1 Corinthians 10 and Philippians 2 saying, that, you know, don't mumble, don't grumble. Uh, I remember at the church I served as a youth pastor, they did things that I thought were very unwise. So I made appeals to the elders every year about this one particular thing that we were asked to do. And I didn't think it was a sin, but I thought it was extremely unwise, bordering on maybe sinful behavior. The elders said, no, we're going to do this, and we want the youth to participate. So I did my very best to mobilize the youth and do the very best job we could for the leadership of our church without mumbling and grumbling about it. And I think that's something that we need to learn to do. Now, if it's something that's absolute sin, then I think there's another course of action we take. But overall, we got to prevent toxic environments being created in our church that causes splits and things that don't edify Jesus and really send the wrong message to the world. And then if things don't get resolved and you really feel like there's a violation of something going on here that's biblical, then quietly leaving the church, I think, is something that can happen. I mean, there's some things that if the church I was going to started teaching something that was heretical I mean, against the gospel, then I think I would leave. But I, I would leave quietly. Uh, I would leave and prayerfully and I ask the Lord to, to resolve this in the church. But I think the first thing I would do is ask the Lord whether or not I'm supposed to be an agent of change. Yeah, those are wise words. You know, as we close the show, uh, Pastor Corey, do you have any advice to young leaders who may be looking at possibly going into the ministry? How can they best prepare to be a leader in God's church? I would tell them, be faithful to the Word, be in prayer in all the time regarding their, your call and uh, how the Lord is leading you, and then find a mentor. Find somebody, enter, you can enter into an internship program. Find somebody who's experienced, who you feel is doing ministry accordingly and properly, and ask them if they would mentor you. I think that's one of the privileges pastors have, is that they have the capacity to mentor those who are being called into full-time work. That's one of the things I really enjoyed in ministry. 
mentoring those who are called into full-time work. I think that's really important. I think a lot of what I learned out of it from other people. Yeah, that's wise advice. You've been listening to our interview with Pastor Corey Ishida. He was the pastor for over four decades there at Evergreen Baptist Church, a great church there in the San Gabriel Valley, but he's also mentored other leaders, and they've planted churches around the country. So, Pastor Corey, thanks for being with us here on Evidence and Answers to Talk about the Healthy Church. You're very welcome, Pastor. God bless. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or even schedule an apologetics conference at your church or location, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of different topics that will make for a great series. Use our search engine for available resources. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to partner with us, once again, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucrath.